by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. glad you guys came out tonight. I am excited. We're going to start a brand new series. Uh, before I tell you what it's all about, let me tell you a little quick story. When I was in the seventh grade, I was living across the, the road from Havenview Junior High in Whitehaven, Memphis. That was my junior high. And my grandmother came to visit. And she had been after me for several years. She was like a beautician in that little shawl, Mississippi town, and she did just mostly women's hair, but she was, she would give me a haircut every now and then, but she would cut it like, you know, at an angle or something, and I, I think she was getting a little old, and I was kind of nervous about, I, I didn't want her cutting my hair anymore, but she kept on about, let me give you a permanent, you would look so good with curls, <laughs> and you know, <laughs> do you know where this is going? <laughs> Anyway, I'm like, no way, no way, uh-uh, I don't want no permanent, I don't want no curls, but she kept talking and kept talking, and, and I said, no, 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 and I, she, she just kept on. Finally, she pulled out a crisp $5 bill, and she said, I will give you this $5 bill if you let me curl your hair. Well, I hadn't seen $5 at that point in many years, you know, that was, $5 would go for two or three weeks around my house back then, so I was like, all right, you promise it ain't going to look bad. I wish I could have, I could have brought a picture. You got a picture on hand? It was long before the mullet. This was like 1980, or something. So there was, there was no mullets back then. But uh, I, I did have long hair, and she curled it up, and it, it got real poofy. And, and I kept trying to fix it or whatever, and I didn't know about it. And so I kind of walked into school that morning with a little timid, you know, not knowing how, how they were going to respond. And as uh, soon as I did, my friends from way down the hall started laughing and pointing at me before I even got there. All my enemies was pointing and laughing at me. The little girl I was sparking on at the time was pointing and laughing at me. And so needless to say... I couldn't wait for school to get out that day to go try to brush the, the curls out of my hair and try to wash it. But guess what? It's called a permanent for a reason. <laughs> but that's what kind of things we're going to talk about t tonight. I changed my hair, and I but I didn't. I had changed my hair and my mind, but there was nothing permanent about it. The curls eventually came out, and of course, if somebody can talk you into something, your friends can talk you out of it. And so I, w I got rid of that hairdo pretty quick. Uh, I was kind of, those days, you know, trying to go with the crowd, whatever they said. Now, how many knows a crowd can be fickle? And I was what you call fickle. There's a, 
a long history of fickle in the Bible. You remember Apostle Paul, he was stranded on the island of Malta after the ship broke up and they, they swam to shore and they were, it was cold night so the, the island people welcomed them and, and started feeding them and everything and they built a fire and it says that Paul went to get some wood for the fire and when he went to throw it on the fire, a snake came out of the bundle that he was carrying and bit him on the hand. And all the island people were like, aha, he's a murderer. That's why he got bit. They were just sure that he was a murderer. But Paul shook that snake off, and they, they sat back, and he says, we're going to watch him die because that was a poisonous snake. He's getting what he deserves because he's a murderer. Well, he didn't die. God didn't let him die. And so when they figured out he lived, they changed their mind. He wasn't a murderer. He was a god. <laughs> So in their eyes, he went from a, a murderer to a god in a space of about 20 minutes. And that's how fickle people can be if they have no basis from which to base their life. Amen? God doesn't want us to be fickle. He wants us to be settled in what we believe. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, which you may know is the, the great commandment, Jesus says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all of your mind. God wants all of your mind. He doesn't want your mind to be unpredictable, changeable, variable, inconsistent, erratic, irregular, unstable. He doesn't want a fickle mind. He wants your mind to be stable and stayed on him. He wants you to be stable because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't need to change. He's perfect. He's holy. He's righteous. He's true. There's nothing wrong with God. And, and always he's exactly what he's supposed to be. But us, on the other hand, we could use a little change. And so while we're down here, after we give our hearts to him, we begin this process of change we call sanctification. We institute a process of change, particularly in our mind. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this series a lot. It's how we change our mind. In fact, the new series is entitled, Stinking Thinking. Stinking Thinking. Tonight is part one, The Need to Weed. Not to be confused with the need for weed. Some of you, I know what you're thinking. It's not that at all. It's the need to weed, as in a garden. Okay. Are you hungry for change in your life? I believe you are because I wouldn't have prayed it out before we even started. I believe we're a hungry bunch. That's why we call us the next level bunch, you know. Hopefully, we're all born again in here. If you're not, then you can be born again. And I'll even explain what that means. But, but looking around, I believe we're all born-again Christians in here. And uh, most of us have moved beyond the newborn stage. You know, you're born again, and, and you become a childlike again in your, in your Christian faith. You're a babe in Christ, right? And we shouldn't stay that way. There's a time to be a babe in Christ, but there's just like naturally a baby grows up, you know, he shouldn't be like Pastor Billy used to say. You shouldn't have to part the mustache hairs to get the baby bottle in. And that's the way a lot of Christians are. They stay perpetually 
at a baby Christian stage. Not any in here, not any that would come on a Wednesday night. But we must grow in our Christianity so we're no longer babes in Christ. Now, what happened when we got born again? See, that's where we got to, what we got to understand. A lot of us don't understand what happened. A lot of us haven't been discipled. A lot of us hadn't been taught. What do we do after we're born again? What, what happened? And so how do I move forward from here? Well, what happened is you got to the end of yourself at some point in your life. Somehow you came to the realization that you could not save yourself. You realized that, man, there's nothing I can do with this load of sins that's plaguing me. I can't get rid of them. I can't, I can't work hard enough to get them forgiven. And I'm making a mess. I'm, in fact, I'm, going, I'm getting worse every day. And so you finally turned and said, God, help me. And somebody told you about Jesus, that he had died on the cross to pay the sin debt that you couldn't pay, that if you would put your faith and trust in him, you could be made right with God. And when you did that, you humbled yourself and and you received by grace through your faith, or you received through faith by grace, whichever you one you want to say. You received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And at that moment, he sent his spirit into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. Before you were dead in your sins and trespasses, you had no real connection with God. You, you didn't have the light of the world inside of you. You were dark. Your spirit man was dead because of sin. But at that moment, when all your sins were forgiven, and he sent his spirit into your heart crying, Abba, Father, meaning you have been adopted into the family of God. The light has turned on. Hallelujah. Where there was only death and and the fear of dying and the expectation of hell, now we have eternal life going on on the inside, and a new shot at this life on this side. And we have his spirit in there to lead and guide us into all truth so that we can begin to overcome sin. But what did not happen was, is this old flesh didn't suddenly say, boy, I want to jump up and do 20 push-ups, you know, or I want to act right. And this mind didn't suddenly forget all the things and times you've been hurt and all the disappointments in your life and all the crazy thinking that you have surrounded yourself with over the years, the wrong thing, all that stuff is still there. Your mind is still thinking incorrectly. There may be sickness in your body. You didn't suddenly just get healed. Maybe I'm not saying it couldn't happen, and maybe it did. Some of you may have gotten delivered the moment you got saved. But typically, what happens is he sends his spirit into your heart and gave you eternal life. He puts the salvation in you. Know you not that the kingdom of God is within you. It is there, but it's up to us to work out that salvation with fear and trembling. We couldn't work for it, but now we work it out. Look at somebody say, work it out. Work it out, brother. So so we got an obligation to begin this process because we, we see that all the promises of God are yes and amen, but we got, to, we got to learn to receive them. We got to learn to believe them if we're going to take hold and walk in the things of God, if we're going to grow as Christians and begin to take this journey that he wants to take us on, this walk with him. So unless we do something to change our thinking, 
change our minds is what we're talking about, right? We will eventually lose what little we gained by going to church that day, and we will slip right back into our stinking thinking, right over into our old smelly way of thinking. And nothing will change. We won't move forward. We will have eternal life, but we will not operate in it. We'll be totally carnal Christians. Meaning you're still operating in the same way you did before you got saved. Although the same power that raised God from the dead now dwells in your mortal body. That would be sad, wouldn't it? There's a need to weed. Not for weed. Weed out the old and fill those spaces with God. See, the, before you can put new in, you've got to get the old out. Turn to Matthew 12, 43. Matthew 12, 43. Sometimes... We stop there and we say, well, you got to get it out. And so we get it out and maybe you get delivered from something. You come down front at an altar call and maybe you were a heroin addict or something and you came down and you asked God to deliver you and by his miraculous power, he does. Maybe you're a kleptomaniac and he healed you from the head. Or whatever spirits or health issues that were plaguing you, God miraculously delivered you. And so now... You've been set free. But here's a warning. Matthew 12, 43 says, When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest but finding none. And then it says, I'll return to the person I came from because he couldn't find no rest out in the desert. Now, I don't know if this is just an illustration that he's given. I don't think that evil spirits necessarily go find a desert near here or anything. But maybe in the spirit they go to a dry place because they've been cast out. And then they think, well, let's check and see if we can get back in, right? So it returns, and it finds its former home empty. It's been swept, and it's in order. And then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter that person and live there. So that person is worse off than before. And that will be the experience of this evil generation. So it's dangerous just to remove the negative and not replace it with the positive. In your thought life particularly. You know, many times the devil will throw a fiery dart at you, a, a negative thought or something, and you, you say, I'm not going to think on that. I'm not going to think on that. And you start to leave and you begin to think on that. Well, I'm not going to think on that, but the more you say I'm not going to think on that, you're still thinking on it. Pretty soon you're fellowshipping with it, and, well, I'm going to go get her for saying that. She didn't even say that or something. You see what I'm saying? You have to replace those thoughts. When you, you have to fill that empty space with God. Have you ever lost weight? Maybe you were on a diet and you worked hard for, say, two months trying to get to an ideal weight. And you got there, and you were so happy that you, you met your goal, you know, and you're thinking to yourself, 
I'm going to stay underneath this weight. This is, from now on, if I get back to that weight, I'm immediately going back on this same diet till I get back below it. I'm going to stay here. I t- tell it like I know what I'm talking about because that's what I do. <laughs> I'll get to where I want to get, and I say, oh, I'm going to stay here. I'm never going to get back out of shape like I was before. But then, have you noticed when you, you're shopping for food, when you're hungry, you buy a lot more? Or if you're shopping for food when you're not hungry, you don't buy enough because it doesn't look good to you? See, our emotions and our feelings and the ups and downs of life and things. See, it's easy to say, well, I'm where I'm going to stay, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay right here. This is the wait for me. And all the hard work's behind you, and maybe you ain't hungry when you say it. But guess what? In the morning, you're going to be hungry again. And then maybe something hits you. You know, your girlfriend leaves or your boyfriend leaves or you lose your job or something emotional roller coaster and you start eating again. You start, or you get busy and you ain't got time to eat healthy. Life happens and you find yourself, man, how did I get back here? I thought I had the willpower to not get back here. I, man, when things were going good, I thought I was going to sustain this. But willpower and good attentions can only sustain you for so long. You know that. We've all been up and down in our own natural strength. There's got to be a way that Christians can grow past the point of being little babes in Christ, up and down like yo-yos, in and out of the church, up and down in their weight. Their emotions are, are extreme, you know. They're either... Oh, I'm so happy, bless the Lord, or get out of my face, you know. And we go back. If we're just counting on our own strength, we go back. Like it says in 2 Peter 2.22, a dog returns to its vomit. And another says a, a washed pig returns to the mud. We get all purdied up. Put a pink bow on our pigtail, and then we run, jump back in the mud. Well, that was our history. That was who we are before Christ. Should it be like that afterwards? That's why we're talking about this. I really believe God is going to help us to begin to understand our thought processes, which we call our mind, our chooser, the one who makes the decisions in our life. Tonight is just really an opening salvo. Tonight is just an opening message that's going to show us our need to, to, for this series, our need to learn how the mind works and to know how to overcome this flesh, how to get victory in our lives. Because our willpower is affected by our emotions, and the devil takes full advantage of our emotions. It won't take long before, you know, you thought you had it licked, but... You had that one weak moment, you know, and then there, there went everything. So we, we can't live like that. We need to be free, but we need to stay free. We need to walk out this life with Jesus. And the good news is Jesus wants to walk it out with you. That is the good news. He's been waiting for you to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. He's been waiting for you to trade in your sorrows and your shame and your sickness and your disease and your pain. He's been waiting for you to say, yes, Lord. He's like, he's like 
when he had Peter, he walked it out with Peter. And boy, Peter needed a lot of walking. Peter made all the rookie mistakes, the baby Christian stuff. He thought he was going to jump out the boat and walk on the water, and he did. But he got his eyes off of Jesus. Rookie mistake. Peter just kept looking to Jesus. Peter kept walking with Jesus. Peter even rebuked the Lord at one point when Jesus was trying to tell him, tell his disciples, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem and they're going to crucify me, but I'm going to be raised from the dead. He was telling them important information, but Peter could only hear what his carnal mind wanted to hear. He's like, he rebuked the Lord. Can you imagine wanting to argue with the word? The word in the flesh? God Almighty there, and you're going to argue with him and tell him he's wrong? and tell him, Don't you say that, Jesus. And that's, that's another rookie mistake that baby Christians do. We argue with Jesus. We argue with the word. We, well, I know it says that, but Jesus, I know you'll give me a break. I know you'll be, take it easy on me. I mean, you, you know how I am, Jesus. And we, all, we play the familiarity card that he knows my heart. He know, really knows my heart. But really, when the word says that God is not mocked, whatsoever man soweth, that will he also reap. And so then you get all upset when it ain't him sending it. The, the wages of sin is death, and it's already built into the sin. It was already there before, long before you come along. So you're not going to get away with anything. And so that's a rookie mistake. Peter. Boy, he couldn't shut his mouth for nothing. He was, you know where it says, be slow to speak, slow to anger? He was the exact opposite. He was quick to speak and quick to anger. Well, the time that Jesus was transformed on the Mount of Figuration, now that was wrong. He was, he was transformed on the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay, well, Jesus turned white anyway and glowed with, you know, his clothes. And he was just, you know, like he, like he will be in heaven. He was glorious. And he was with Moses and Elisha up there on the mountaintop. And uh, Peter, he, he just got beside himself. He, he knew he should have kept his mouth quiet. You know, there's a time for a holy hush. <laughs> and Peter didn't know nothing about that. He's, he said, oh, I'm glad I'm here. I think it's time we build a tabernacle or something. Let's do something. We got to mark this occasion. He starts getting ready to get some rocks together and build a house or something. And God has to come down from heaven and says, Peter, hush. This is my son talking. Hear him. And say, we need to learn to be quiet and not do all the talking. And maybe that's your prayer life. When you pray, it's all you doing the talking. And you haven't learned yet to listen and meditate on the word of God and let, it sp let him speak to you. He knows more than you. He can tell you what to do and how to do it. He will lead and guide you. The, the most important thing you can do is listen. You know, some of us, we, we give him our laundry list every day and we say about 10 minutes of worth what we know in here and, and then we don't even give him a chance to respond. We just cut him off and we say, we've done our duty as a Christian. We've prayed 10 minutes. But you'd, be, you'd do wise to say what you want to say and learn to pray in the Spirit, get filled with the Holy Spirit and, and, and pray and rejoice and maybe take some time of worship, maybe some time of singing and glorifying God and then get quiet. There's different seasons. 
When you and your wife or you and your husband go do something, you don't do the same thing every time. You know, it's a, it's a dialogue. It's not a monologue. And it's a, it's a communication. It's a relationship. What does he want to do today? You know, so spend time with him. Peter was quick to speak and slow to think. And then there was a time at the... Uh, Last Supper, when Jesus was washing his disciples' feet, and he got to Peter, and Peter said, No, you'll never wash my feet. All the other ones had enough sense to just realize Jesus was about to do this. Peter, false humility, rookie mistake. We all try to prove that we have this humility or whatever, but really, we should just, Wow, Jesus. We should probably just sit down and cry about how much he loves us and let him love us and stop trying to act like we don't need him. Then there was a time before they left that night that he, he said, I'll never deny you, Lord. I don't care what all these other suckers are doing. I'm your man. I will be with you to the end. I am, I am positive that I will never deny you. And he was acting in spiritual pride. As you grow in your Christianity, you begin to realize how weak we really are and how much you really need to humble yourself before God and realize your weakness and your need for Him. The only reason that you are with Him is because He allows you to be. And so He showed spiritual pride, and then He cut the soldier's ear off, you know, when they came to get Jesus. He's just like a loose cannon. He had a lot of zeal, and that's good. It's good for a baby Christian to have zeal. But, you know, baby Christians are going to make mistakes just like baby humans do. They don't know how to do everything, yet they're growing and they're learning to walk and learning to talk. They don't say everything right. They don't do everything right. They don't understand all the principles and whatever. But Jesus loves them. And he loved Peter through all this. He's like, Peter, you're still fighting in the flesh instead of the spirit. You, you don't understand spiritual principles, but that's all right, Peter. We're going to keep working together. And then he went on to deny the Lord. He just made a lot of rookie mistakes. But guess what? We can learn from the past. We don't have to drag it around like an anchor. Peter didn't just keep making, on, making the mistakes. He became the head of the church in Jerusalem. He went on to do great and mighty things. He preached one sermon, won 3,000 people to the Lord. Once he was filled with the Holy Spirit, once he had the power of God, once he began to understand, and if you read Peter's writings, I just thought about this. My goodness, Peter's writings show a depth of humility that I don't see in anybody else's writings almost. Really, I mean, he really has a sense. He talks about humility all the time. Why? Because he once was not humble. And he who has been forgiven much loves much. And he who has been through much learns much. And so he had learned humility by, by not being humble. But we've all got a lot of baggage that we bring into our Christianity. Not just things we don't know once we get there, but we bring baggage in. I remember having a poverty mentality when I was growing up. Uh, we never had much. It was just me and my mom and my little brother trying to survive on the mean streets of Memphis, you know. And there were times, like I said, $5 would go a real long way. I might be able to eat a couple times on that, you know. And so 
I remember as a young teenager going to the Southland Mall for the first time. And I remember walking in there, and I was, there were stores I was literally afraid to go into because I thought they would look at me and know I didn't have any money. And, and there were stores that I would walk into, and I would feel self-conscious the whole time that I'm not worthy to be in this store because they got nice stuff. And that was a poverty mentality. And see, God doesn't want you to drag that into your Christianity. He can't bless you the way he wants to bless you. We need to see what the Word of God says and let it change the way we think. That's really what we're talking about. The Word of God changing the way we see ourselves. Another thing I remember was having a Sheffield pride. All the men folks in my family, you know, if you hear their stories, they were always the best hunters. They were always the best fishermen, always the best athletes, best writers, best this. And they bested everybody, and they was always the hero of all their stories. And so when I was growing up, my dad was always like, boy, you're representing the Sheffields. you got to do something. You, you ain't going to go and sit on the bench or this or that, you know. And so I always gave it my best. And, and really, it instilled in me the sense that I was somebody and that there, there was something to me. And so I did achieve, but at the same time, it was a worldly type of pride. Well, all pride is worldly. It was pride in me when I should be putting my emphasis on Jesus. And so I, I look, and, I, and even at my dad's funeral, I, I got a chance to speak, and I looked out over some of his remaining brothers who, had lived in that, who have lived in that pride their whole life, so much to the point where they never humbled themselves and let Jesus be the Lord of their life, I don't believe. And that pride has kept them away, it's feeling like they're self-made men and they don't need anybody. And so I told them, I said, guys, y'all need to let go of that Sheffield pride because it's going to lead you straight to hell. So I had poverty mentality. I had the Sheffield pride. My understanding of God was he was up there taking notes and writing down all the bad stuff I did. And if I did enough good stuff, he would do something nice for me. But if I, if I kept on acting like I was acting, he was going to get me. And I would bargain with him, you know, God, I'll say eight Hail Marys if you'll let me have, let that girl say yes or something, you know. And so everything I did was bargaining with God. And I come to find out that ain't our God at all. That's nothing like our God. And so when I came to Christ, I had a lot of what you would call baggage. But which one of us doesn't? That's where we begin the process. Of changing our lives. That's the starting point. We, none of us had to get right before we came, did we? Did God require anybody to get right before they came? No, he received us just as we are. But then he loves us too much to leave us where we are. And so we began that process. I remember the story of uh, Lazarus, Mary and Martha's brother, dying. And they call for Jesus, and Jesus is late getting there. He's about four days after it happened. And they, by this time, he's died, and they've put him in a tomb. And they're crying and weeping and saying, if you'd only been here, Jesus. And Jesus says, just, just roll away the stone. They're in oh, Jesus, he's probably stinking by now. Don't even do that. They rolled away the stone. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And by the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he's able to call the dead back to life. 
by the power invested in him. He's able to call a dead man, been dead four days, out of the tomb. And Lazarus comes forth, but he's bound in grave clothes. He's got these smelly clothes wrapped all around him. He can't even see. He's probably doing this number to come out. But he comes out of the tomb. And Jesus says, go and loose him. And he sends some disciples to begin to unwrap those smelly death clothes of the past. We know you can't see. Hold on, Lazarus. We're going we're gonna to restore sight to the blind. They begin to unwrap his head so that he can begin to see what Jesus has done. We're going to unwrap you, your heart, and all these, these nasty, filthy rags that have you bound. And so God sends people. He sends other disciples to help unwrap us. He's given us the church, an unwrapping place. So that we come and begin to unwrap all the stinking thinking that we have and the wrong ideas about God and about who we are and about our relationship and about what life is all about and about I'm no good and all the hurts that are wrapped around our heart and we've walled off so many people and so many things. And things we think we'll never be able to be free from. But over a process of time, friends and his spirit and his word, and the relationship with him, he begins to unwrap us as people until we're free. We begin to get in the race. So it's not just about getting saved and continuing to live like you lived before and it's not just about getting rid of the old junk it's about putting new stuff in we don't want to just get swept and then a little while later somebody sees you and you're seven times worse than you were before seven more demons done came back have you seen that people baby christians and and nobody takes them under the wing nobody ministers to them and they go right back and you know what when they go right back the devil says huh i didn't think much about him before but now he's a christian send seven of them and get him now they, now he wants to kill you you can't become a christian and sit and wait there's no idol in christianity you have to fill those rooms with the presence of god in your life if you don't have any different stimuli, then nothing changes. The same stuff, the same results. If you keep doing the things you did before you met Christ, you'll get the same results. What's going on? What are we allowing into our life? Because we see in the Word of God that we're to guard our heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. Our heart is where our, our mind is. We'll talk about that in a few weeks because... Most people think our mind is, is our brain, but it's not. It's our thinker, our chooser, our will. It's in our soulish realm. Our thoughts, it's who we are. So what are we allowing in our heart? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And you begin to steer your ship. The rudder of a big ship is led by this little tongue right here. And you begin to speak your life into existence. And if you're still speaking negative like you did before, you're going in the wrong direction. What are you allowing in your eye gates and your ear gates? 
Are you beginning to change some fundamental things? Are you still just doing what you did before? If you do what you did before, you're going to get what you had before. The thing that you cried out to God to deliver you from. That's right, isn't it? So you've got to change. You've got to change what you say, what you allow in. It's like Caleb, you know, the radio station. It's, it's a little bubble gum for me. I don't like it too much, but I still listen to it. You know why? Because they're positive, encouraging. <laughs> Caleb, right? And I like positive, encouraging, even if I don't like the music all that much. They got a, what you call a 30-day challenge. They challenge you to listen to only Caleb for 30 days and see if it doesn't change your countenance. They are so confident that they're only putting positive stuff into their station, saying positive, encouraging things and playing positive, encouraging music that it will change your life. And I don't see anybody calling up and denying it. Well, if I was listening to some of this country music for 30 days, I'd be wanting to drink a beer. Y'all, Pastor, you always own country music. Yeah, I like, I would like to listen to country music too. But the problem with country music is there is good country music that doesn't say anything bad. But then every other song, they're talking about drinking beer and cheating on their wife. And so it's like, it's doubly dangerous because you, you think it's okay, but it's not. And that's what the devil does. He slips in things on you. Now, of course, we're not going to go listen to some death metal or something shouting, you know, something about Satan or something. But the devil's a little bit more crafty than that. I'm not... Don't want to hurt anybody's feelings about your country music. But do you want positive, encouraging, or do you want a six-pack? What are you renewing your mind to? I'm just giving you a practical example. I mean, if you listened to country music before you got saved, and it got you in a position you got in, you know, they say if you play country music backwards, you get your wife back, your dog back, your house back. Right? But if you're listening to it, you lose your house and your dog and your wife and all these things. If, if that got you in the position you in when you had to cry out to the Lord, don't you think you need to listen to something positive and encouraging now? I don't want to argue with people about country music. Romans 8.5. I'm not going to get through this tonight. Good night. That's fine. That's fine because we're going to take our time on this. Romans 8, 5 says, those who are dominated by their sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. See, it ain't so much about pleasing you anymore. It's about pleasing God. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. See, he gives you the desires of your heart. I think more so in the fact that he puts new desires in your heart is what he means. If you will trust him and you will follow after things that you think please him, then pretty soon you'll be 
digging some K-Love. He will change the way you see K-Love. Okay? Does that make sense? He will change the desires of your heart. People will think you're corny, you know, but you're like, I'm positive and I'm encouraging. It's true. There was a saying I found, let the mind of the master be the master of your mind. Let the mind of your master be the master of your mind. Psalms 119, 169 says, Oh Lord, listen to my cry. Give me this discerning mind that you have promised. See, he promises to give you the mind of Christ. He will give you a discerning mind. He will show you what's good, what's holy, what's righteous, what's true, what's light. He will show you the wickedness of your old ways. He will show you the darkness and the past that you took that weren't not or were not helping you. And the reasons why you are where you are, you begin to trust him and want to please him, and you begin to realize there are the desires of your heart. The things that you thought pleased you before were really corrupting you and destroying you. See, we, we, come, into, we come to Christ really defective. We come to Christ really broken. And we... we and if we, come to, if we got to that place where we came to him, and we were such at a place that with this human pride that we got, and we finally came to that place, it must have been a bad place. If we finally broke down and humbled ourselves to the point to ask Jesus to be the Lord of our life. If he got you to that place, and he began to show you his grace, then now you want to turn around and spit in his face. And go back to the making the calls yourself. I see it all the time. People get, they come here and God sets them free, puts their family back together. Gives them new hope. And pretty soon, they're drifting back away. Because they're beginning to want what the natural man wants. More than they want what God wants. And they're not willing to stick it out and to continue to walk that straight and narrow until it becomes a way of life. They're not willing to make changes for Christ. What you feed grows. You got to build up this spirit man. If all you do is natural, carnal things that you did before, that big old spirit man that's on the inside of you that controlled you before will override the spirit of God that is in you and will continue to lead you down the wrong path, to continue to destroy you. But now it's even more dangerous because the devil is no longer your friend. So it's worth fighting for. It's 8 o'clock. I'm going to close. I'm going to do something. I'm going to close. I could. I didn't even get through half my message, but that's okay. I just wanted to lay a foundation here tonight. I wanted to show you the need to be willing to change your mind, to let God control your thoughts and the direction in which your life is headed because you made him Lord. That was your promise to him. Be the Lord of my life. Be the master. I will follow you. And so it isn't pleasant always to our flesh. Man, I want to do what I want to do. But that's what got you where you are. 
So your flesh is always going to argue against the things of God. But now the Holy Spirit lives in you, and he will always make a way of escape. If you will just choose him, if you'll say, Jesus, I... I'm struggling right now. If you'll be honest with him, if you'll walk it out with him, it's okay to make mistakes. Peter made mistakes, but he came back. He made rookie mistakes, but he didn't stay a rookie forever. He kept pressing in, and you can too. And I don't know where you are. Man, you've maybe been walking with him, and, and, but nobody has arrived. We're all at some place on our journey, and you can all learn from this message. Next week, we're going to talk about what is the mind. And we're going to delve into it with some mind-numbing preciseness. I'm learning a lot about the mind and, and things so that I can, just the little bit that I've studied so far has encouraged me to watch what I say, to watch what I do. I didn't realize what a big difference and how it works. And we're going to talk about natural processes that the things of the Spirit affect in our lives. It's going to be mind-blowing. So don't miss next week, and, and we're going to keep building on this. I, I anticipate four or five uh, messages along this till, till we get to the fullness where we... We understand what we're doing here is important. Because we want to we want to come up. We want to please him. We want to. We have the want to, but what do we always say? Well, Stephen Furtick said, it's not your intention to get you to your destination. It's your direction. So we have to physically think, change the way we think so that we can change the way we act so that we can change our outcome. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.